Hey, everybody, and welcome to a edition of Coach's Corner. I've got a great interview today with my friend, John Roman. But first, just a reminder, I need your help. If you haven't completed the survey from Podcast One yet, please, please go and do that. It helps my show, it helps other shows, and it helps keep this show free for all of you and helps us find the most aligned sponsors that also give you really cool discounts and deals. So please go to podcastone.com slash my survey. Again, podcastone.com slash my survey, and I'll link that up in the show notes as well. So today we're talking about the front row factor and the art of moment making with John Roman, who I just adore. He inspires others to live life in the front row by teaching the art of moment making. He's an award-winning keynote speaker, podcast host, definitely check out his podcast, and number one best-selling author of The Front Row Factor. The book is a collection of inspiring stories, compelling science, and life strategies that challenge you to explore your values, establish priorities, and reconnect to a higher purpose and deeper meaning within your life. Don't we all want that? John is also the founder of the Front Row Foundation, which we're going to talk about in our interview. It's a charity established in 2005 that creates unforgettable moments for individuals who are braving life-threatening illnesses. You can learn more about John at frontrowfactor.com. And now on to my conversation with John. John, I am so excited to have you here. This is going to be such a rich and I think goosebump, maybe even tear jerking podcast. I, I, I have that feeling before we even started. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us today. It's so fun to be here. You're one of my favorite people and I feel honored. Oh, likewise, likewise. It's it, what's so cool about the personal growth movement and consciousness and the internet is that there's just way more cool people. Like with all the people committed to growth and living their best life, there, it's just awesome how many really awesome people there are out there. It's such a yeah. cool time to be alive. I agree. And speaking of life, so I got my first set of chills and goosebumps before we started recording when we were talking about your book, mm. The Front Row Factor, which came out when? When did it come out? It's about four months ago. Four yeah. months ago. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And you said that this book was written about everything you can learn about living life from people fighting for it. That's right. So yeah. tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So this all began back in 2005 when uh, a, a group of friends got together to start the Front Row Foundation, which is a charity that helps kids and adults who have a life-threatening illness to experience the live event of their dreams from the front row. And this was just a way for this group to give back. And um, so it was you know, myself and a couple of friends and we just did this kind of evenings and weekends and it grew and it turned into something even more, uh, which now we say it's a little bit like Make-A-Wish meets Tony Robbins because one of the things that we figured out was that it wasn't just about making a day uh, special. It was about helping somebody live every day uh, in a special way. And so what happens after their front row experience became the front row philosophy. How can we live every day in the front row, which is really a metaphor of getting close to what matters to us, you know, and, uh, we call that the proximity principle, just, Hey, get close to the people and the places and the thoughts and the emotions that make you come alive. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about how this has impacted you, you know, being with people, 
who have either children or family members with life-threatening illness or being with people that, that have the life-threatening illness themselves. How has this transformed you? Yeah, it, in, in every way imaginable. <laughs> this all began, Christine, wanting to give to other people. And at the end of these 12 years now, and, and not the end, but t- I should say 12 years in, I feel like I may be the biggest beneficiary. You know, even even what's interesting is I wrote the book to tell the story of the front row, to to explore the lives of all these people that we've helped over the last 12 years and to understand what they how they maximize their moments, right? And because uh, I became obsessed with how do we make the most of all the moments we have? That's why the subtitle of the book is transform your life with the art of moment making. Mm-hmm. Because when we sat down as a community to say, what's really going on here? What we realized is that however many days we have, right? None of us know when it's going to end, by the way. You know, we don't have to have a life-threatening illness diagnosis. You have that already. It's called being human. You know, right. the ride, we're all, all going to die. The, the ride ends one day, yeah. right? And and that reality, though, brought a lot of um, inspiration into my life. It didn't make me scared. It made me excited to make the most of the time. And I thought, well, if you want to live a great life, you put together however many great years you'll have. And those years are made up by months. And those months are made up by hours and those are minutes and those are moments so that we understand that learning how to affect micro moments in our lives leads to macro movements in our lives. And if we can learn to handle those moments, if we can learn to, um, you know, whether the situations are favorable or not, make the most of them, that's the art of living. And so that's what the book is about. And when and when and how it changed me. You know, first of all, the whole thing has changed me since day one. Mm-hmm. Since we, I mean, we ran a fifty-two mile marathon to raise money back twelve years ago. That changed 52? my life. Fifty-two, wow. Fifty-two mile. And I was not a runner, but I I learned something on that. And I think this is really important: is that when your why has heart, your how gets legs. I never forget, I'll never forget learning that lesson very early on was that when your why has heart, your how gets legs. When, whenever I felt fatigued on that run, I remembered that purpose brings power and that if I could remember why I was doing this, if I could remember the people we were serving, I would find the energy for the next step. And so, you know, those types of moments from day one up until now, even like writing the book, I thought, you know, I'm going to tell the story. And I thought I had clarity until I wrote the book. And then I was like, I have a whole new understanding of what's going on. Like, I'll give you an example of that. And this is very practical for your audience, something that everybody could take away. One was that when we said what's working with our recipients, we recognized that hope was a powerful force. So one of our recipients, Thomas, he was uh, in his early 20s and he was once a rugby player and then was battling this life-threatening illness who found himself in a wheelchair, losing his eyesight, fighting for his life. And we told him that he was going to go see the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. That was his dream event. And the minute we told him he was going to go, he fought extra hard in therapy to be able to stand for the national anthem. Mm. And what we realized was that hope brought power of the, the power of the future to the present moment. And it's very different than wishful thinking that says, I wish things were different versus hope says I make the difference. So we recognized that. We saw we didn't anticipate that in the beginning. We just thought we're going to create an amazing day. But we saw hope. We also saw celebration. Like some of our recipients, like Mike, who was a 16-year-old who went to go see this show in, in Myrtle Beach. And it was the first time he was on an airplane, the first time at the, you know, at the hotel, the first time seeing the ocean. And he had an amazing experience. And when he was in his final days, he was in the hospital room flipping through his photo album. We do a full photo album and video for every recipient. We recognize the power of celebration. 
And there's nothing wrong with looking back. You know, sometimes we don't want to have rear view mirror syndrome and look for the back, you know, but there's nothing wrong with looking back and celebrating wins or victories or great moments in our life. That brings the power of the past into the present. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, all of this is helping us figure out how do we make the most of every moment? We're just using the future to bring into the now, the past to bring to now, to make the most of every moment we have and to be fully present and be what we call moment makers. That's, that's how, what we've learned. And it's transformed me. It's been, it's been awesome. I can hear it. (laughs) I can hear Ah. it in your voice. Like I can just hear just how this is so your Dharma and your purpose. And, you know, you found in so many ways your mission and and I love that you're sharing it. And there's a couple things that I want to dive into here. You know, as you're talking about people that have life-threatening illnesses, um, I don't think this is something I've ever shared on the podcast, but my grandfather uh, is a funeral director. So I grew up around death. <laughs> We'd mm. spend a month with my grandparents every summer and we loved hanging out with my grandpa at work. And we were around funerals. We were around corpses, caskets. My sister and I would play like hide and go seek in caskets, which is very morbid, but it was normal to us. <laughs> but what I share that because I've always and, and I think that really impacted me. One, my grandfather did a great job of normalizing death, of not making it this scary, awful thing. Uh, but two, it, it, it really made me not fear death and also know it was coming and it could happen at any moment. And so I think from a very young age, it gave me a, a passion for life. Like I started to yeah. realize how important life is. And I think that that has been part of my inspiration to want to help as many people as I can, but mostly selfishly or self-honoring, I guess, live my best life and really live into my full potential. And unfortunately, um, the way I have seen a lot of people have their wake up call and start to make the most out of their life is when a massive expectation hangover happens, when something bad happens and let's not wait for something bad to happen. That's right. To make the most out of life. And so you said something so powerful. Micro moments lead to macro movement. Is that what you said? That's right. So can you give us some examples of how someone who doesn't have a life-threatening illness um, can apply that into their life? What are some micro moments that can lead to these kind of macro movements? Well, you know, oftentimes it's just asking a different question. Mm. You know, oftentimes it's as simple as a question. But, you know, as, as my friend David Cooper writer says, questions are fateful. The minute we ask them, we, we change the lens by which we see our situation and the world and our potential and all of that. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, when, when one person shares one idea, a story, a concept, your show, who you are, Christina, like I follow your stuff. I love who you are. Mm-hmm. It's like one, one idea can change it all. It can really change it all. And, and um, you've got to take action on it, but it can be moving for people. It can be a, the right question at the right time. So I'll give you an example. I was with a recipient. Her name is Nikki. And Nikki was battling stage four breast cancer. It was a big Dallas Cowboys fan. We took her and her husband to go see the show. And uh, we were in the limousine on the way. And she had turned to me. And I, I don't remember how we got here, but she had said, sometimes when I walk into restaurants and I'm not wearing a wig or a hat, um, you know, and her hair was mostly gone and it was gray. And she said, um, people will look at me with disgust. And when mm. she said that, my immediate reaction was anger. Um, I, I was I was sad. And then she followed it up by saying, and it makes me happy. 
And mm-hmm. I, I thought, all right, tell me more. Tell me about this. And she said, it makes me happy because if somebody looks at me with disgust, it means they have no uh, context to my situation. They've never battled cancer themselves, I'd bet. And they don't know anybody that they love that's battled cancer. So I'm happy they have no context to my situation, that they haven't had to deal with this. And I thought, oh my gosh, like you're, you're a better person than I am because uh, I, I, I didn't go there first. And I learned something from her that day. And it was how we can move out of, and people have said it in different ways, but out of criticism to curiosity, how we can move out of judgment into you know, a place of interest of what else could this mean? And being reminded of that, see, that's something I learned years ago. I mean, I could tell you, people taught me that 20 years ago, but there's a difference of learning something intellectually and having an emotional experience with it that changes us. And so sometimes we have to hear it repeatedly. That mm-hmm. was a micro moment that led to a massive change for me. And even later in life as an accomplished speaker and author and coach, like I heard that later in life and still knew that conceptually, but something changed, shifted in my body when I heard it that time. Mm. And, and I, and I think of other, you know, and I think about how that, that simple moment becomes a change in our lives long-term. Sometimes we think that change has to be massive, but really it's like, it's a tiny shift and then we, we carry it for a while. And that momentum is what builds something exciting in our lives. It's so true. There's no there, there's no overnight, I've got it and everything changes kind of thing. And it's that constant application. And Another thing that that I've seen people have a tendency to do, and someone might even be doing it right now as they're listening to t- you talk about people with life-threatening illnesses, is go, oh, wow, like my life isn't that bad. And then they start to feel guilty and ashamed for having upset or stress or or what they label as problems. And can you speak to that a little bit? Because I don't think that, oh, people have it so much worse than me is a helpful thing to think. Yeah, I think it all depends on how you feel after you have the thought. Um, it, if, if having that thought that other people have it worse than me makes you feel empowered to do something, if it helps put your life in perspective, I think that's, that's a healthy thing. I think it only matters what meaning you give to that idea. Um, and is it empowering? Cause if it makes you feel terrible about yourself, it just makes you beat yourself up for feeling <laughs> like your problems don't matter. Um, I remember talking to my friend Liz Dialto about this and it was about how, um, you know, problems are problems. And yes, it's wonderful to know that you can put your problems into perspective, but it's also okay to recognize that your issues are your issues, your problems are your problems. Um, I think that perspective, however, is very important. I love the thought that if everybody were to throw their problems in on the table, that many would be quick to grab theirs back. I do think that I've been um, reminded of how fortunate I can be by seeing situations or facts of life that aren't so fortunate or, or, or perceivably so. But it really becomes an energetic thing. You have to ask yourself, at, when you have these thoughts, are you feeling empowered to uh, live your fullest life and help others do the same? Mm. That's what I think. Mm. So let's talk about your superpower, <laughs> which is your ability to connect one-on-one to people and in groups and mm-hmm. really draw out the best of each individual and interaction. We have a lot yeah. of coaches and 
aspiring speakers and entrepreneurs and just people who want more confidence. And I think how we feel more confident in situations and create more friendships is we know how to really draw out the best of each individual and how we become better coaches as we know how to do this. So since this is your superpower, I suspect it comes rather naturally to you. (laughs) (laughs) How do we do this? How does someone who doesn't think they're so great at connecting with people or drawing out the best out of themselves or of people, how can they start to develop this superpower on their own? Yeah. This comes from a need, by the way, of wanting to be loved, Mm. you know, by people. This definitely was a a craving for significance and validation and being witnessed and approved of as a child. So working very, very hard to do that. And what I've learned in life is that one of the fastest ways to love is by being a great friend, by being a great listener, by asking great questions, by showing up for people when they need it most and by helping them live out their biggest dreams. No, no, you know, uh, secret to why I started a wish granting organization because it makes me feel alive to help other people feel alive. I love being loved. I love when I give a keynote speech and people are coming up to me at the end and hugging me. And that's that's the best part. Like the speaking is great, but the ending is the best when they come up to you and want to get a book signed and take a picture. It's the best, right? I love that because that doesn't mean I'm awesome. It means they're alive. Yeah. That's what it means. Like, like when somebody comes up to me and goes, you're awesome. I say, we often see in others what we see in ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I'm glad, I'm so glad to see you alive. Like, I'm so glad to see you happy that that's what makes me happy. Um, so I think the key to that, the key to connecting is asking great questions. Now, I'll never forget my friend, Paulette Tucheroni years ago, I sat down and I said, how can I be better as a friend? She said, you could be a better listener. Mm. And I was like, I was kind of like taken back by that. And that shows you a little something about the fact that I wasn't ready for that information. But after I thought about it, I was like, she's right. I mean, it was what's even ironic about that is I didn't accept her feedback. (laughs) I wasn't listening to her comment there. But eventually I said, I'm going to become one of the greatest listeners walking the face of the earth. So I would make it so that when I'm talking to somebody at a party, I'm not looking over their shoulder for the next coolest person that walks in the room. I said, the best compliment I can receive is when somebody says, John, when you talk to people, you make them feel like they're the only person person around. And I go, I want them to feel that. I want them. I love it when somebody, when there's a distraction, I love it when I hear a loud banging in the background and I don't flinch. I just stay eye locked, not in a creepy way, but like as an interested, I'm here with you way. Um, I love to make that, to have people feel that way. I love to ask questions. I have a a rule. I'm like, whenever I talk to somebody, I try to ask three questions before I chime in. Because if I'm like, hey, what are you passionate about this year? And they say, I'm running a marathon. It'd be easy for me to say, oh, I've done a marathon. I love that. We have something in common. And we think we're just bonding, but it's easy to make the conversation immediately about you again. But instead you might say, oh, well, which one are you running? Or are you shooting for time or just completion? Or what do you, what, you know, why are you doing this? I try to ask a bunch of questions. I think the best question or the best compliment is also you ask great questions. Like when I hear that on a podcast or whatever, I'm like, oh, that's, that lights me up. Yeah. So I, I think if we can do that, we can, we can support people and, and we can I, then be liked and loved. Yeah, exactly. And it's okay to want to be liked and loved. <laughs> like, totally that's okay. okay. We're, we're humans. We have an ego and it's, it's okay. Oh, it's, Christy, let yeah. me comment about this for one second. By the way, the people that are like, I, I don't care what people think about me. You, they're really trying to get the people that also feel that way to like and approve them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. care what anybody thinks about me. What I'm really trying to do is get the people who feel the same way to like me. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's, it's okay to care because if a lot of people aren't liking oh, me Jesus. or not resonating with me, I'm out of alignment. Like something's off. You know, like everybody in the world isn't going to like me and what I do. Absolutely. But I, I do care. 
Yeah. 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 Cause I want, I want people to have a connection and have a good experience with me and all of those kinds of things. So I think it's okay to care to a certain degree. We can't make it dictate our sense of worthiness or our emotional stability. We, we have to first and foremost care about what we think of ourselves. Absolutely. And I've noticed that the, the more I've loved and accepted myself, the less I care from like a needy place of what people think of That's me or right. a needing to prove place. And the more I care from, hey, am I connecting with you or not? And if not, and I want to, what do I need to shift in order to connect? How do I need to show up more authentically? So exactly. I, I think it's just our come from. It's just yeah. our come from. It's the difference between wanting a lot of money because you're trying to fill a void or you're trying to compensate for something versus having a healthy wealth consciousness and knowing that it takes money to make changes and it's okay to enjoy nice things and do it while helping some people along the way. So it's just, it's just our come from, just our come from. And I love what you're saying about asking questions because I would say I'm more of an introvert and I, uh, a lot of people that label themselves as introverts really resonate with me and my work, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the the keys to being an introvert and being able to be out in social situations and connect is curiosity and asking yeah. questions because a lot of introverts think that they have to go and just be talk, talk, talk. And introverts don't always love to talk about themselves. Yeah. So what's great is you just, you ask questions and you become curious. And I've had so many conversations with people where I've talked maybe 10 to 20% of the conversation. And they've been like, oh my gosh, this was the best conversation ever. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I yeah. didn't really say much, but it's that, but we don't, you know, exactly. and of course balancing exactly. it out with sharing about ourselves and everything, but asking those questions creates that space. So thank you for that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So talk a little bit, we talk a little bit about being a conscious husband and dad and man in the world how do I want to phrase this question? I feel like a lot of men have questions around how do I really be in my masculine, but also yeah. be in my heart and do this kind of personal development growth work. So what has that experience like been for you? Yeah, I, that, that's interesting because I just talked about this recently with, uh, I run a dad's group and we talked about, um, confidently curious, you know, how do you balance the idea of like, you, you, you know, you're confident, you show up with confident and yet you're curious, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you remain humble and interested and flexible to learn? And at the same time, own that identity of like, I'm a decision maker. I take action. I make bold moves. And that's a very, um, interesting art to find and strike that balance. And I feel like parenting and being a husband and being a great friend or leader of a charity or a business or a podcast or whatever it is requires a little bit of that at all levels. Um, so my wife loves it when I'm confident. She loves it when I show up, you know, uh, as the man and at the same time, not overbearing or like I'm the only decision, uh, but I'm also curious and, and sensitive and loving and, uh, a willing to, grow and change and say I'm wrong and, and ask for forgiveness. I think all that's really important. I, I think that one of the most important questions to figure out where you should be in life, finding your sweet spot is, is by having the right people around you to do that. I, I honestly don't know if in a, an isolated situation, if I would have been able to figure out some of the key lessons in life for myself, but it's, it's honest conversations with my guy friends like I went out to lunch not too long ago with a guy and I was like, what makes, what makes a great friend? And he said, honesty. 
Mm-hmm. Like the guy who can be like, Hey, this isn't going well, I'm calling you out. And he goes that type of honesty. So I immediately turned to him and said, all right, call me out on something. Like what, what's something that you can tell me that nobody else wants to, or is willing to, or wants to take the energy to. And he shared, I, and I can tell you what he said. He actually, I'm, I'm total open book by the way. Uh, he said, I think you could spend more time with your kids. That's what he said. And now, interestingly, as the, as the leader of the front row dads, uh, I had to really process that. I'm like, Hmm, I feel like I'm doing an okay job in that area, but I really sat with that. And when I thought about it, he was right. And I shifted, I made a massive change. And the result of that was a massive change in my relationship with my sons. There was another level there that I couldn't see mm. and he saw it and, and brought it to my attention. And then a couple months after that, this guy said to me, he goes, Hey, I want you to notice. I know I see a difference in tiger. My oldest son, eight years old, he goes, I see a difference. And I he would just, he gave me props. Like he gave me a fist bump and was like, you know, mm. nice, nicely done. Those types of things that help us find out how to be great dads or husbands or, or, or leaders in whatever capacity that we were born to show up as, uh, man, those relationships are key. Yeah. I think, that, I think that's it for me. I love it. I love it. Well, this, oh my gosh, so much value. And I, I, I love that you share so authentically and so from your heart. And I can just, I can feel how congruent you are with the work that you're doing. So thank you for making the most out of your life and inspiring us to make the most out of our life and and every, every moment of our life. Please, please tell us where people can get the book. I know you have the front row community. Um, where can people find out more and connect with you? Yeah. Well, thank you for the record. And, and I truly believe, and I want to say this to you in front of your audience that, uh, first of all, I'm a huge fan. I love who you are. I love what you stand for. I love that you're making such a difference in the world and that you're showing up as you do, uh, because it has brought a lot of light to my world. And so thank you for that. I'm genuinely appreciative of you. Um, the book we are super proud of. Thank you for mentioning it. Um, this was two years in the making. Like you said, in the, it's everything we learned about living life from people fighting for it. Frontrowfactor.com. You can get it. You can link to it there. Catch it on Amazon. Um, yeah, we're very, very proud of it. And there's a lot of practical strategies in there. Like, uh, you know, ones that, uh, you know, clearly we didn't have time to dive into everything today, but if somebody wants that deep dive, I say, this is the, this is the best we could do in 250 pages, <laughs> right, of, mm. of summing up 12 years of what we learned from raising millions of dollars and helping more than 100 people to have this incredible experience. The stories, they'll make you cry, they'll make you laugh. We back it up with science, we give you practical steps. We're really proud of it. I hope you enjoy it. Oh, oh I love it. I love it. And reading those kind of stories, I think that there's so much we can we can take away from that. You know, it's it's often the quote unquote normal people, like not the gurus that are our best teachers. Those people 100%. that, yeah, that, that just the, the ordinary becomes so extraordinary. So thank you for yeah. bringing those people and those stories into the front row so we can see them. Thank you. It's an mm, honor. Mm, mm, thank you so much, John. <laughs> 